Hey, it's Craig. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Canadian History X early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Greetings and welcome to another episode of Canadian History X. Before I continue, on July 26th at 3pm, I'm hosting a Zoom history conference all about the 1913 Great White Hurricane that hit the Great Lakes. It's a really interesting story. It costs $5 to register for the 45-minute conference or free for my patrons. And you can be a patron for as little as $3 a month. Just go to patreon.com slash CanadaEHX. And if you want to register for the conference, just go to CanadaEHX.com and click on Register. Today on the podcast, I'm going to be speaking with Stephen Kersner, the creator and person behind Ed the Sock. Ed the Sock is, well, I would say a television icon in Canada. A lot of people know exactly who Ed the Sock is. And as for myself, growing up in the 1990s, I was very familiar with Ed the Sock. And today, Ed the Sock isn't on much music anymore, but he is operating his own network called the FU Network. It's a very interesting podcast network. It has some excellent shows that I really enjoy. And he has a Twitter feed that is extremely popular. So let's just get to this interview and learn about Ed the Sock, politics today, and much more. So I guess what got you interested in politics? Uh, you had run for provincial office, I believe, in 1990. Um, a lot to do with Ed the Sock right now is political focused. Uh, where did that interest first come about? Well, I, you know... I, I guess I've never really examined that <laughs> until this particular moment. Uh, it came about, I guess, as I've always uh, felt. I, when I was in school, I was uh, still—I was always the short kid with the big mouth—and uh, got me into a lot of fights with uh, with people. I never lost one, even though there was often two against one, and I was smaller because I was more motivated. And I always felt like, uh, obviously, fighting for the little guy was me. But I would also st stand in for people who were being bullied by other bullies and uh, step up to fight that. I've always felt that uh, people need some form of protection from the bullies in the world. Um, unfortunately, uh, the early part of... My, also, I, I never liked the idea of popular sentiment. I, I was always and still remain sent, uh, suspicious of popular sentiment. You know, the, the wisdom of the crowd, so to speak, which, which never is particularly wise. Um, that manifested itself when I was younger as being somebody who was uh, very much a uh, Reagan Republican. Now, Republicans back then are not like Republicans now. I'll say in my defense, um, people say that Ronald Reagan today wouldn't be able to get uh, elected as a Republican because uh, he was too, too liberal, according to today's standards. But uh, I was, uh, I didn't like the way everybody that I knew seemed to be, and I was in schools, of course, constantly being inundated with youthful passion, but they were always 
leaning towards being very, very left wing, and I am always suspicious of anything that's that popular. And so I uh, rejected it because I didn't think their ideas made sense. And I was very conservative, but it was always with the intention of um, conservatism being something that could be used to help people. Um, you know, like the idea that social programs are good, but we have to find a way to pay them, otherwise they're going to run out and people are going to be left without. And unfortunately, that's kind of what happened because um, we see that today where it's, it's the government's fault. They cut taxes, and then they say that there's no money for services. And they, <laughs> there would have been money for services if they hadn't cut taxes. Um, but I was very involved politically. I was doing uh, political talk shows. Also, I kind of, I guess, there was probably a, bit, a degree of uh, youthful narcissism involved in that I thought that my opinion was an opinion that other people should have. <laughs> so <laughs> I did a lot of political political programming as myself. Um, I was uh, recruited to run for the local Progressive Conservative Riding Association. Uh, I was all of 23 years old and uh, knocked on thousands of doors. Didn't think we'd ever win because it was a very, very safe liberal seat. And we didn't win, but the goal was to make sure we got enough vote to get our deposit back. Because if you don't get enough of the vote, you don't get the deposit back from Elections Canada or Elections Ontario in this case, whatever it was. And we did. We got our deposit back. We increased our vote from the previous candidate. And uh, I learned an awful lot of things about how politics really works and what the public is really thinking when you go knocking on the doors, how well-informed or not well-informed they are. Um, I quit, the, I quit the, the, the PC party when Mike Harris got elected and uh, started, uh, well, during the campaign and in, in office, was demonizing single mothers and basically calling them all welfare frauds and so on, and even though... During the campaign, we were privy to internal polling, which showed that voter fraud, or that election, sorry, welfare fraud was uh, less than 1%. So it really wasn't an issue. But I said in one meeting, I don't approve of them going after, you know, the weak and the vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And then everyone turned on me and called me, oh, comrade, like as if I was some <laughs> communist all of a sudden. And so I just, I actually said, okay, it's been nice. And I left and I never went back. And uh, since then, I have uh, gone very much towards the center. I'm a small liberal. And, you know, it's funny because they say that if you're not a socialist when you're a teenager, you have no heart. If you're not a conservative when you're an adult, you have no brain. Well, apparently I've had neither heart nor brain because <laughs> I was a conservative when I was younger. And as I got older, I became more liberal. So uh, I fly in the face of that and, and not, I don't end up on the good end of the stick either way. But uh, I also realized a long time ago with Ed that... Uh, there was a tremendous amount that a character who's not human can do and can say. Because mm -hmm. non-human characters can do and say things that human beings can't do. If South Park was with a bunch of young kid actors, it, it, it probably wouldn't even have been greenlit. But because they're animated, they are removed from the same considerations that people place on human beings. When a human being says something, uh, trying to make a political point or a social point or something, there's an automatic pushback uh, in people's psychology, which is, who the hell are you to tell me that? What makes you... Uh, so much better than me that you can lecture me. But they don't feel that way about uh, basically comedians, depending on how the comedian goes about it. They don't feel that way about cartoons. They don't feel that way about puppets. There's, there's a relaxation factor there so that people are able to drop that rejection filter and perhaps absorb more. And uh, the first season on City TV, when we moved from cable access to City TV, it was pretty much just a retread of what, what I did on cable access, even some of the same guests. And the second season, I determined I didn't want to do that anymore. And uh, Married with Children was a very popular TV show at the time, which was uh, sort of a slob comedy that was satirizing all the really uh, 
you know, squeaky clean family comedies of the time. But uh, they had fallen into a trap whereby they had to keep upping the shock value. Rather than upping cleverness, they just upped shock value. And their shows became nothing more than excuses for uh, more and more shock comedy, but there was no story anymore. And I thought, I don't want to go in that direction. So instead, we started doing stuff that was more political. Mm -hmm. You know, we did, I remember very clearly, the first show we did a a thing about products that were rejected, and there was things like the uh, Fisher-Price Inner City American Hospital, and it was like people out front dead because they didn't have insurance and stuff like that, like little toy figures. Mm -hmm. And we had a uh, police billy club uh, in uh, spray-painted in colors of, of African flags, so that uh, they can be more uh, representative and, uh, to black people when they're beating them. And it was, you know, it was clumsy, but it was the first steps towards doing comedy that made a point and mm-hmm. made a difference. And we're told to stop doing it um, by the powers that be, and we just kept doing it, and it caught on. And uh, when Ed was on Much Music, it was just a natural inclination to uh, use, eventually use the character to uh, speak truth to power and to call attention to things that were not right. And uh, people responded to it because I think they, we did it in a particular way that uh, didn't sound like it was moralizing so much as it sounded like it always did, which was the same tenor as making fun of boy bands and you know bullshit marketing and, <laughs> and things like that. I was now using to talk about issues. Mm-hmm. And people really responded to it. And it, we've just continued since then. And then when I uh, decided to that it was time to, to bring it back in a big way. It never really went away, maybe for like about a year, year and a half. But um, I was mostly doing stuff for American outlets, um, internet outlets, and being paid American dollars, which is always good because then you get actual more actual dollars when you're here. <laughs> then uh, the election, even, even before the election, I think that things really started to gain traction during the SNC-Lavalin thing, where I thought that uh, the public wasn't getting the, the real information. There was just a whole lot of focused on the sizzle and not on the steak and that people were getting the wrong impression and they weren't able to make a proper assessment of what was going on because they were being told a lot of things and a lot of hyperbole and a lot of exaggeration and I can't stand that. I, I want people to be able to make the right choice if they decided that they that they still you know felt they did, that Trudeau or his people had done the wrong thing, that's fine, but they should be able to make that choice based on actual facts, not on hyperbole. And unfortunately, the opposition was offering only lies and hyperbole and stretching the truth so thin that it was, it, it, you know, might as well have been a lie. Mm-hmm. And that got traction with people. It got it got positive and negative response. And uh, the negative response helped create more positive response. <laughs> and uh, it just kept building until, uh, you know, people were like, oh, you're a big shill for Trudeau. The truth was, no, this was not really about Trudeau. This was about people not being given the right information so they could make proper, uh, you know, proper judgments they could see things and make their own opinions because um, I've you know Ed has also defended Andrew Shear at times mm-hmm. and the, the press was reporting things that seemed to be completely exaggerating or, or leaving out context and defended other conservatives at times because it's all about it's more about defending the truth and saying the truth than it is about any individual or any particular political persuasion um, and uh, during the election it really gained traction and uh, because Unfortunately, the conservatives hung their hat on uh, continuing to just tell things that were adjacent to or were completely inaccurate and uh, just pointing out where they, where they were wrong 
or where they were saying they were they were not saying things they should have said, in the sense of you know sheer renouncing comments he had made about uh, gay marriage and gay people, which were completely out of step with modern times. Um, it, it just it wound up having a tra- you know tremendous traction, and uh, from there it turned out that you know I, Ed can get a hashtag trending in the top ten within thirty to forty minutes. Uh, especially if it's something political. Mm-hmm. Though we got something stupid going. We, a fight between people who love, love butter, tar- butter tarts and people <laughs> who hate them. And both, both hashtags were trending in the top ten for 12 hours. Um, but it's, uh, I think people listen to Ed because Ed has been consistent his entire career. As long as they've known him, Ed has just told, said things the way he sees them. And if, something, if it's based on information that later is shown to be wrong or new information comes out, to say that it was wrong before, and uh, this is the actual information. Um, and people trust Ed because Ed mm-hmm. always says, you know, when we uh, before the last provincial election, there was a advertising agency that did a uh, focus group, and what people said about Ed was, a, we need Ed now more than ever because there's so much crap out there. You need someone who you trust to cut through it. And they also said Ed says what I'm thinking, mm-hmm. and so in the time that Ed was, you know, not prominent. Um, nobody rose to take that position. I mean, maybe in a sense Rick Mercer did, but in a very in a way that was so different that it wasn't the same. But they didn't have like a people's champion to uh, to to you know say what they believe the truth to be based on the facts that they've received. And uh, nobody was speaking for the little guy, and certainly not in media, because even though media is supposedly democratized, and that everybody who's got a phone is now all of a sudden an international broadcaster or can be. Um, uh, in in the mainstream media, that nobody came forward and stepped up to take over what Ed had had done before, and so it was just a pivot, a pivot from uh, taking shots at the uh, deceptive marketing practices in in the music business, and taking shots instead at deceptive practices, you know, among the political class. Mm-hmm. You kind of uh, touched on it, but uh, what do you feel has led to the continued popularity of uh, Ed? I think, yeah, yeah, I did touch on it. I think it's that Ed is somebody they've known for, I mean, I, Ed started on City TV and Much Music in 1994. Ed was first on TV in 1987, but that was cable, you know, cable access in a small cable station in, in northwest Toronto, the smallest one in, in, in the city. Uh, and then it grew to being a show, uh, you know, Ed having a, a late night show that was on uh, across the country on cable access channels from uh, 11.30 to midnight on Fridays. Um, and uh, people have known Ed a long time, and they've seen Ed grow up, they've seen Ed evolve, and Ed, to them, it's, it's 100% real and somebody they can trust. Because Ed never sells out. Even when Ed would push a product or something, it's clear it's a product he believes in, and also people recognize somebody's got to pay for this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so as long as you're not lying to consumers, they're fine with it. They know that advertising happens, and sometimes it's good to know about products and things. But Ed would also go on Much Music and re- very publicly refuse to read certain ads because he didn't believe in it, or they were so badly written he wouldn't touch it. Um, and sometimes would call the vice president at home during his dinner without any warning and talk to him live on the air and say, this is crap, I'm not reading it. <laughs> so I think people get a sense from Ed that they live vicariously. They wish they could say the things Ed says. Um, and now more than ever, there's great restriction from both the right and the left on, on people expressing themselves, even expressing questions, even asking, you know, why this is this way or why people think that way. Asking the question has become 
uh, a thought crime because you should know and you shouldn't be questioning. You should just fall into line. Which team are you on? Are you on this team or that team? Because it's always if you're not with us, you're against us mm-hmm. uh, these days. And uh, if you, if you, I mean, Ed gets crap from the left and the right because um, each one at some point thought that Ed was on their team and they don't realize Ed's on no one's team. Ed's on team truth. And sometimes that uh, falls to the left and sometimes it falls to the right. It depends on what's actual fact. Mm-hmm. So I think it's just people, and also people of an affection for Ed, because Ed, they remember Ed from much music, and they remember much music very fondly. It was a time when the world made sense, and there was still the ability to talk and, have, and joke about things. Nowadays you can't joke, because someone said, that's not funny. Um, it, it finds some little corner of the joke that they can use to blow up as it being about something that isn't funny as opposed to what it's actually about, you know, looking at it on the surface. So, uh, you know, there's that warm and fuzzy feeling when you think back to when much music was good, when it existed, because it doesn't even exist anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, people remember that very fondly, which is, you know, one of the reasons we're resuscitating it with uh, the FU network and certainly with, you know, FU music. And I've been in contact with uh, Bell uh, about uh, purposing the uh, much music library as well for future things. I don't know if that's going to go anywhere. We've had a few meetings, but everything there is very, very corporate. It's a very different world than the one I, I live in. The world I live in is, I have an idea, let's do it. Um, and that was the case in with much music, too. I mean, Fromage, which many people remember Ed for, Ed didn't create it, but people don't even remember Fromage from before Ed was on it, mm-hmm. because it was a show that took, it took shots at foreign videos and videos that were made with very low budgets, usually Canadian. And when, when it was can- it was actually kind of cancelled because the guy who produced it for years moved to another one of the channels in, in the building and nobody was there to, to produce it. So uh, my wife, Liana, and I decided to produce it on our own. And we, we did, it was 1999, we did the worst music videos of the century. And uh, we, we watched the videos, we chose the videos, we edited them, we scripted it, put the whole thing together ourselves with Ed and then just handed it in. And I remember the woman in charge, Denise Donlin, at the time said, what's this? And we said, it's fromage. She said, I thought that was canceled. We said, well, I guess it isn't. <laughs> and they ran it, and it did exceptionally well. It wound up being, dollar for dollar, their most successful series, year after year after year, in ratings and in, in uh, dollars to uh, production cost ratio. Um, and that was just, you can't do that today. You can't go, you know, you can't have a national network where you just go in and start creating a program and then hand it in to them. You'll get fired. Um, <laughs> And uh, they, Trump Television was unique in that they had the balls to uh, stand behind people and let them rattle, you know, rattle cages and ruffle feathers and even make fun of them because they understood that it only benefited them as far as people saying this company must, this company must be cool to allow this stuff to happen. Mm-hmm. When you're out in the street, uh, you know, when Ed's out, do you find a lot of people are stopping to talk to Ed because they, they recognize him, for, like you said, from much music, from CDTV and things like that? Oh, it's kind of insane. Um, if we're somewhere and somebody asks for a picture with Ed, uh, I say, you know, sure, and then we turn around and there's a lineup. All of a sudden, <laughs> where did all these people come from all of a sudden? Um, and, uh, you know, we're out somewhere, like, you know, at the protest at Queen's Park, cars are driving by honking and waving at Ed, and so on. So, uh, yes, the short answer to that is yes. People are constantly, whenever they see Ed, they really want a picture, especially now with the selfie culture. Everybody wants a picture. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's, you know, somebody said to me once, don't you find that annoying? I was like, no. I would be more upset if it didn't happen. <laughs> Ed's there, and they're just like, huh? Well, oh, yeah, Ed. No, I'm glad that they get excited. 
I'm glad that it means something to them because you know you do you do stuff on television. You don't really have an audience in front of you. It's not like theater or something like that. So you don't know what the nature of the impact you're having is, or if you're having any impact. And over the years, you know, had uh, a woman who had had a, a miscarriage and was in a deep depression. Uh, she told me she had been, and she said that uh, she was flipping through the TV one night and uh, saw it on TV and stopped and watched it, and it started laughing. And it was the laughter that broke her depression that <laughs> got her out of that 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 line of thinking mm-hmm. and brought her back uh, from where she was. And when we were doing the live show, we did a live show last year across Canada, uh, you know, city to city to city. Um, and uh, we're at one location, and uh, a guy comes up to me, because not every location had a place you could, you know, a green room you could be apart from everybody. And guy comes up, comes out of the bathroom, and he comes up to me, and he's the guy, I swear, like six seven, and very burly, biker-type guy. And he says, you uh, the guy who led the sock? Uh, yeah. And he said, can I talk to you? I'm like, oh, shit. Yeah, okay. <laughs> he takes me aside and says, says, when I was a kid, I was always big and awkward, and I was sort of like an outsider. And watching Ed saying that outsiders are cool and don't do what everybody else does, you're better if you don't, that got me through tough, difficult times in my teen years. And he said, and recently I was depressed, and then Ed was there again and talking about things on Twitter and doing videos. He says, you did it again. You pulled me out of a depression again. And then he pauses and he says, can I have a hug? <laughs> this is big, scary biker-looking guy. And I said, uh, sure. And he pulls me in like I'm a rag doll. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but it's moments like that you realize that even though it's comedy, it's not frivolous. Mm-hmm. And uh, somebody very high up in the, uh, the Liberal Party campaign, um, we came to, to, to chat with each other uh, online afterwards. And uh, he said that uh, Ed's social media was, in his words, quote, essential to uh, the outcome of, you know, what, what the outcome was in the election, mm-hmm. which I don't want to believe that's true. I don't want to believe that people, I, mean, I understand people are turning to non-traditional sources now that they, you know, they're looking for sources to believe in because they don't trust the media. But uh, I don't want to believe that uh, that they're listening to a sock puppet and that changes the complexion of the vote in the country, <laughs> uh, certainly in Ontario. But uh, this is what this person told me and he's not one to just blow smoke up somebody's ass. So, mm-hmm. um, I mean, that's, both redeeming and you feel good it's validating but at the same time it's a little bit scary when you recognize you can have that kind of impact you got to be careful what you actually say absolutely can you tell me a bit about what led you to podcasting and uh the the fu network um well i mean the fu network came before the podcasting the idea was originally strictly videos like doing video programming video content as they call it now as i call them tv shows (laughs) um because it's the same kind of idea but uh, it was just a number of people who uh, would come up to me and say, say how much they missed much music. And I know, having worked there, that it was very special. And yes, there's tons of stuff on YouTube, but I've been digitizing uh, a lot of Ed's old much shows and uh, you know the VJ flow stuff and you know, VJ shifts and so on, because I have the masters here. And uh, I look at it, and there's things with Ed and Rick and Ed and Bradford and other people and just talking to people on the street. And there is really nothing that has that kind of snap to it that people are doing now. The stuff people are doing now, there's, there's a tremendous undercurrent of look at me, look at me, look at me. And that wasn't the undercurrent of much music. Uh, we really felt that we were more public servants than anything like that. Like there was, Nobody had an attitude. Nobody ever copped an attitude. Nobody ever treated fans badly. We all just thought we are people just doing a job and entertaining people. None of us thought we were better than anybody else because we were doing it. And... Uh, that really showed. It came through. There's, a, there's this 
um, ephemeral quality that you can't really put your finger on, but it's there. And so people miss much music. They miss when times were simpler. They miss when entertainment reflected who they are, because it doesn't anymore. Much music changed the way TV uh, could look, could sound, could feel, and now that's all gone. And the stuff that's coming out is all very slick and corporate, and it does, it, there's not, it's like Teflon. People can't grab onto it. Whereas, you know, much music, there, there was a VJ that reflected, you know, every portion of the population, not so much in ethnicity, though there was that, but also in attitude and bearing and things like that. Um, after I left, they started basically getting uh, spokesmodel types and then telling them what to say. And we were never told what to say. We were, they hired people who they, you know, they trusted the people they hired to do the job and to be themselves. And there was, we were never asked before we, you know, went on the air live, what are you going to do? We were never, we never had to ask permission, never had to get anything cleared. We just did it. Um, and you can sense that there's a, a, a legitimacy and authenticity to all of that. So I missed it. And then I was actually talking to Much Music when they were starting up something called Much Digital Studios, which I think is still around. I don't know. It didn't really, it didn't make the world, you know, catch on. Um, <laughs> And I gave them ideas of what I thought it should be. And they decided to go in a completely different direction. And I thought, these are all good ideas. I'm going to do them. And the reason that people haven't been able to recreate much music and the people who came in after us couldn't keep it alive is because if you weren't there at the time, you don't know how, what it was that made it work. And I just felt that it's not fair that pe younger people are deprived of that form of media uh, because stuff that people are doing on their own, it doesn't have any discipline. They don't necessarily know how to tell stories. Um, there's a lot of self-indulgence in them. There's a lot of stuff that's funny to, to somebody and three of their friends, but isn't necessarily something that translates to other people. Um, and uh, there's also no, no place for people to get that kind of training that you got from, from you know, being on a uh, channel like Much Music or that kind of experience or that kind of people there to help mentor you. So that's what was really behind it all. I was like, this really needs to happen. We initially, uh, I spent time finding and recruiting people who did really good videos. And they had, there was some really great content. The problem was uh, all of the programs that uh, there was like three main ones that were the basis, and there was going to be Ed shows. Um, the uh, they were all partnerships. There was always like either there was like three of them or there was two of them, and in one after the other, they all broke up for various reasons. There was a partner. It was a duo. One of them moved to the states to. Uh, he got engaged and, and married and lived in the States, so that was dead. Another one was a business where two of the partners left, and they were the ones who did all the video stuff. So it, it was sort of like, well, what are we going to do now? These people keep are unreliable. Um, and then I just sort of said, let's just do politics, because quite frankly, politics is the new rock and roll, because there's no music that speaks for a generation anymore, because everybody's curating for themselves. Mm -hmm. There's nothing. There's no common experiences where people can say, this is the voice of a generation in music. And uh, it's moved to politics. Where people are, there's more common experience and common ground happening in politics. There's common ground, and then there's common ground with some people because of the people that you don't like. Um, but comedy, or politics is a new rock and roll, and uh, I just applied the same core of much music uh, to politics, which is real people who are capable of expressing themselves well, have good personalities, are smart, who understand the business, understand what they're doing, what they're saying, and bring them together. And no, no paid pundits, no professional political, you know, proxies. None of those people that you see on mainstream TV always yelling at each other. And also, we couldn't, people couldn't yell at each other. This had to be, there had to be a basis of respect and also a sense of humor, because I think you realize that you've lost perspective 
on an, on an issue or on politics when you think nothing's funny, when you're not able to recognize there are some things that are absolutely absurd mm -hmm. and some things that are funny because they're so horrible, um, you know, sort of darkly funny. And uh, we just, you know, I took that, that recipe and applied it to politics the same way it was applied to music, and we did well. I mean, the, we thought we'd start quietly and, uh, you know, event, you know, work into a soft launch and work the bugs out. But the day we launched, we were in the top 20 on iTunes uh, Canada's politics chart. Uh, Ten days later, we were top five, mm -hmm. beating out CBC and Global and all these others. And then they started a new category called politics and culture, where we were number one. And uh, we currently get about between 10 and 12,000 downloads a month. And uh, the rule of thumb, supposedly, is that there's more people, there's three times as many people, roughly, uh, streaming than there are people downloading. So if you look at that, we're getting uh, in excess of, you know, 40, 45,000 people listening per month to our podcasts. Um, so obviously we weren't able to sneak on, but I'm not complaining <laughs> about the results. And now we're moving over to FU Music, which is, we're working very hard now. I've found new VJs uh to uh, represent different different types of music they're all really really talented people and i'm very excited and it's going to be different than much music was in the sense that the, each single video is going to be its own show uh, with wraparounds and stuff like that um and possibly some talking over top uh and uh, we're only going to be using initially independent canadian artists people who uh, either aren't signed to record labels or signed to small record labels um because the big guys I don't know, it almost feels like selling out, including the big guys. So I want to start with the small, you know, the smaller people who need a boost mm -hmm. rather than just, you know, coasting on Kanye West or whoever happens to be popular at the time. Um, those people kind of make me ill um, because they're just so heavily marketed and they, they just feel like cotton candy. After you've eaten it, you just feel sick and wonder why you did it. <laughs> it seemed nice and, nice and sugary and it seemed like a nice bright pink little treat. And then you eat it and you're like, why did I do that? <laughs> That's what I feel like with modern, uh, you know, mainstream pop culture music mm -hmm. and so on. So we've got some good stuff. I mean, Ben Rayner, who was at the Toronto staff for 22 years, uh, last band standing, so to speak, in, uh, rec you know, movie music reviews and so on, music journalism. He's on one of our shows with Eric Alper, who's a longtime uh, music publicist and agent. And, you know, and with Ed the Sock, examining issues, and there's going to be more. And we, the VJs I mentioned uh, are from across the country. Uh, literally, some are in Vancouver, some are in Inuvik, you know, uh, so it's, uh, it's, it doesn't matter where you are anymore. Mm -hmm. You don't have to be in a place. We don't need a much music environment because the entire world is our stage, so to speak. Where do you see Canadian uh, politics heading uh, moving forward, especially after COVID? Where do I see Canadian politics going in the future? Uh, uh, well, I think that uh, the Conservatives have shot themselves in the foot over and over and over again, and then put that foot in their mouth during this COVID period, because Canadians don't feel, I, I can't imagine Canadians feel like the Conservatives are on their side when Conservatives are going are out there saying they'd rather people, the good people, uh, starve or lose their homes uh, because there may be some people who are cheating the system, even though there's measures in place to catch them on the back end if they're cheating, um, and they're calling Canadians basically, by and large, dishonest and so on. It's not a way to win the hearts and minds of people, especially people who are in a desperate time and desperate situation, and the government is offering, uh, you know, a, a life raft, and the conservatives are saying, don't offer them the raft, they can swim. Um, so I think that what we're going to see, I think what's likely going to happen is, uh, if, if an election were held tomorrow, I believe the liberals would be returned with another majority, 
because Trudeau has been handling this quite well, and the conservative attacks against him have been empty and weak and easily taken apart. Um, I, I think the NDP will probably lose some seats um, because they've been unimpressive. And um, how do I think the world is going to change? You know, on a bigger picture, I I think that uh, it will be a long, it'll be a while until people are comfortable. Um, going into movie theaters and concerts and things of that nature, anything, uh, you know, uh, sports arenas. Um, so there's going to be some readjustment there. I mean, those businesses are going to be in trouble for a while. Um, but uh, I think that largely when this is, when it's safe to go out, whether it's a vaccine or a treatment program that's effective, we're going to see something, people will be slow to, you know, congregate initially. But I think that that will not be very long. I think that what we're going to see is kind of a mixture of the 70s and the 80s. The 70s in that I think there's going to be a lot of hedonism. There's going to be a lot of people wanting to party because they've been, you know, sacrificing and feeling like they've been sacrificing mm -hmm. and enduring forms of privation for so long. They're going to want to reward themselves. They're going to want to, you know, contents under pressure will explode. So I think we're going to see some of that. We're also going to see a hell of a lot of consumerism, I think, because people who have denied themselves things for a long time are going to want to give themselves a treat. So while I don't see things like durable goods, such as, you know, dishwashers and fridges and stoves and stuff like that being major ticket items that are going to go crazy, I think if you come up with novelty items, um, things that are less important, that certainly aren't essentials, people are going to be wanting to buy things that aren't essentials because they're going to want to treat themselves to something that feels frivolous because it feels good to do something frivolous for a change. So I think that's what's going to happen. Um, there will be some changes in that I think that we're going to see people continuing to do lots of these shows on Zoom or wherever else, mm -hmm. uh, for better or for worse. Um, and I think that the, there are some people who, while they'll spend on some stuff that's frivolous, they'll know it's frivolous. And I think that there's a lot of people going to be reconsidering some of the things that they had paid for previously or ways they lived their life previously that uh, they now think, oh, I don't really need to. And I think that businesses have discovered that they don't really need to have people in their offices. I think that one of the big changes we're going to see that's going to be permanent is uh, people working from home more often. Because why should a business pay for overhead when the overhead can be borne by the you know your employee in their own home? Um, maybe you have a workplace where people come together for meetings. Maybe you know occasionally you want to have people who know who are working together get to meet each other in person. Um, but I think there'll be a whole lot more people working from home than there were before. I think that will be something that uh, changes for for good. When, when it all changes. And uh, just my last question, what's, what's coming up for you? Um, well, coming up for me is uh, FU Music and continuing FU Politics. Um, FU Music is going to be, you know, videos. It's not going to be just audio podcasts, so there's that. And uh, we're, we're moving to video with a lot of our, po our political programs as well. And we're going out getting advertisers, and we're adding, you know, new programs all the time. Um you know, we have to wait till people are advertising again, then we want to go out and get them because we've got the, the numbers now to be able to satisfy, well, who's listening? Well, here's who's listening. Um, I'm hoping that uh, when 22 Minutes on CBC uh, gets a new season and starts shooting, they've indicated that they'd like Ed to be back again um, doing streeters. We did that uh, during on Election Day. They flew uh, me out, and Ed did stuff with people on Election Day out in Halifax and then was on the show itself. Um, like on the set, and then did something with about uh, Wigs it uh, the week late a week later in Toronto, and they really like Ed on the street.
street. So we're talking about doing more of those and uh, maybe having Ed do some of his editorials as well. We'll see. <laughs> together, but uh, CBC's uh, 22 Minutes is the only Canadian show that isn't terrified of having Ed on because Canadian broadcasters are terrified of Ed because mm-hmm. Ed has his own following, Ed has his own defined personality, and they like control. And uh, they like to produce things that aren't going to bother anybody. And uh, Ed bothers everybody and, and nobody at the same time. It, it's, you know, it's funny. All the time we did that controversial, supposedly late-night show with the hot tub and the go-go dancers, we only had two complaints, uh, <laughs> three complaints. One was completely dismissed out of hand. Two were sent to the Canadian Broadcast Standards Council. One we were found to be in breach of. But we still disagree with that because there was another example at the same time that was found to be okay, and it was far, far worse. Mm-hmm. But all that mattered, all that we had to do was put a 20-second uh, statement up before the, one of the shows, and that was it. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, I, only in Canada can you be too popular for television, <laughs> which is what I was told by people who are running networks. You're too popular for us. Your brand is too strong for us. Only in Canada can that happen. <laughs> so just keep your eyes open. There'll be a lot more stuff coming and a lot more stuff in video. Um, and uh, we're just going to keep building. I hope you enjoyed that interview. And if you did, please give a rating and review. You can reach me at craig at canadaehx.com. And you can also find hundreds of articles on Canada's history by going to my website. Go to canadaehx.com. Thanks, and we'll see you again next time.